1, chapter John 2, verse 3 to 8. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. The tr- and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made completed in them. This is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command but an old one which you have had since the beginning. This old command is um, the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command to its truth is seen in him and you will in you because the darkness is passing and the truth light is already shining. Awesome job, Owen. How old are you, Owen? Six. Six. That's awesome. Good job, mate. So someone a little older than six is going to be speaking with us this morning. (laughs) He's uh, known amongst a few of us here, and I thought I should do just a little bit of research. I did a quick Google search on him, and this is what Google had to say. Bruce Reginald French is an Australian pastor and agricultural scientist. French founded Food Plants International in 1999 with the goal of documenting food plants around the world. As of August 2020, there were 31,170 edible plant species detailed on his website. Now, Bruce, you're an avid green thumb. There's no doubt about that. But he's more than that. Bruce is a passionate Christ follower and a gifted speaker. Now, another connection that might help our youth is that we actually had a youth camp at his shack on the bottom of Mount Roland about two years ago. Anyway, thanks for taking the time to come to Pathway this morning, Bruce. Um, he can introduce himself a little better than I can, and I look forward to what you have to say about John, uh, 1 John. Over to you, Bruce. Thanks. Thank you. When you get my age, you always hold your breath that the digital stuff works. <laughs> but we're just going to skip through 1 John fairly fast. Can God be known, and is he worth knowing? Most of that's already been answered. We could just about close with the benediction, I think. But the trouble is, in our world, everybody doesn't understand that. You look around us, and these are famous people. These are not nobodies. It says we're a bubble of consciousness in an ocean of nothingness, bobbing around until the bubble bursts. So that's pretty smart, isn't it? Another famous philosopher said we're orphans in an age with no tomorrows. I've seen it on people's stickers. This is the only life, or all sorts of things on their cars. We're an accidental collocation coming together of atoms. Eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. We're homeless in the cosmos. These are fancy philosophers. They're not nobodies. And a universe with no rhyme or reason or justice in it. So 
I think they're birds on a tree, if you want my opinion, sitting up there with their bird brains saying, without God, we're on our own. And a famous guy, when, uh, we're an accidental and meaningless presence in an equally accidental and meaningless universe. How would you jump out of bed? That's the sort of thing to get you excited about living, isn't it, and about life. But you hit our nation, Australia, how are we going? Around about 16% of people in Australia occasionally go to church. Not there every Sunday, but they are working on it. But that's not a very good way to try and work out a, Christ, uh, a spiritual perception in the world. We want to find the right spirituality, one that's going to change the world. And this is 2,000 years ago, John writing, Dear friends, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see uh, whether they are from God. How do you test a spirit? You've all got amazing insight. Thankfully, the Bible tells us this is how you recognise the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. We've got a God who's been here, he's visited our planet, he's been a real human being, he's not a figment of our imagination. Put your faith in him and he'll empower and enrich your lives. Some spirituality you see around these days I think is too otherworldly in a cocoon or a balloon or somewhere and some are too down to earth, too this worldly and seem to forget about God. And I want you, hope your kids, it's lovely to see the kids here, I hope you're ready to go on a journey. We're going to go on a plane trip. We're going to go to a little island called Patmos out in the Mediterranean, but we're not going to stay there long. We're going to skip across to a big city called Ephesus, which is in Turkey these days. And one place, John, when he was there, said, can you know God? And the other place, when John was there, said, is God worth knowing? So he's trying to get us to work out answers to these things. Not only can you know God, but you can know that you know him, is what John is saying. And so... He's telling us that how to know God and how to know that we know him. But then the scary bit is going to tell us how other people will know that you know God and how are they going to know whether you're a hypocrite. I grew up in Lower Barrington, which is up the scrub that way, and years ago when Chris Orlick was coming there as the pastor, I said, look, I'll take you around the community, introduce you to everybody so you'll, they'll know who you are as the new pastor and got to one house and he said, don't you talk to me about religion. A man who preached in that church 40 years ago ripped me off in business. And I said, does anyone ever speak in that church you're really impressed by? Yeah, Kevin Collins, the truck driver. I said, good, next time he comes, I'll pick you up. <laughs> I said, I'm glad you can pick up a hypocrite. We all need to pick up hypocrites. But it isn't it nice that you can also recognise the real thing. So that's the challenge we've got all around us. This is where we are in Turkey and Greece, skipping across to the islands there. And John, back in his day, even though it was a long time ago, was confronted with a very affluent, information-rich, multicultural society. We thought we were the only people on the planet like that, but here he was back in those days. And he want, wants us to know God and to know that we can know God. And the amazing part is John loves to use small words. Know, love, life, walk, truth, action. They're all one-syllable words, so he's going to make it quite clear for us what he's on about, he's not going to hide it in fancy words. There's just a sample of some of the words he uses in, if you print this out, it's only one page, his little letter to light and dark, love and hate, truth and lies, walk and talk, obeys sins, knows claims, life, death, confess, deceive. They're the sorts of words he's going to use and he's going to explain some huge, big ideas with these very simple words. 
I might jump slightly sideways. Once when I was working with the United Nations, they said, can't you write scientific English? So I wrote them an article on uh, oligogenic and polygenic uh, resistance in pathosystems. I said, who's your target audience? They said, the rural poor in the third world. And I ripped it up in front of them and said, can't you speak plain English? <laughs> can't we use normal English to help the starving people in the world? So, but John wants us to know about spiritual things. And so he goes through, by this we can be sure, this is going through his letter, by this we can be sure that, by this we can be sure who, by this we know, by this we shall know, by this we know, by this we know, I can read faster than the computer can, but this we know that you may know that. So in one little letter, he's actually used the word know 40 times. We're not shutting our eyes and doing a leap in the dark. He wants us to know how do we really know all this stuff. But the mind-blowing thing, I think, is he mentions love 45 times in the same paper. It's not filling up your brain with smart information. Can you put it into practice, get it down to here where it affects your lifestyle, affects your values, affects your home, your family, all the other things. So John's, we're going to do a quick skip around. I don't know whether you've ever been to Ephesus. I won't stop and talk about these too much. One of the things they loved that tall pillar was the pillar for um, Diana of the Ephesians. And when... Uh, John got there, no, when Paul got there, sorry, they said, oh, you're going to upset all our businesses. We make money out of dying over the Ephesians and making little statues and things. You're going to upset our business. So they were just like us. Is it money? Is it God? Which is the priority? And the society there had lots of issues over sexuality and sexual identity too, so it's almost like Australia, isn't it? But I've skipped around a fair few countries, mainly doing food plant stuff, the chap standing there was in a Buddhist watch. I went in and interviewed him and had a lovely talk to him. And I said, how do you know you're making really good progress in Buddhism? And he said, oh, the more and more I get detached from this world, the more spiritual I'm getting. And I said, what do you mean? He said, oh, well, if a friend of mine has a baby and I don't get excited or someone I know really well dies, I don't get upset. I'm, I felt like saying, you're off with the fairies. Why don't you come back to the real world and have a faith that means something in the real world? Then I've met up with the Hindus too and they're not on the moon. You're more likely to meet a Hindu in a country called Australia than you are to meet a Baptist. So I don't know if you've ever met a Baptist or not but if you look around you'll find there plenty of these people around. Back in their day they had lots of temples, lots of spirituality just like in our day. And we're just quicking up a few quick things about John. John was a country boy. I was a country boy. I was saying to one of the little boys helping set this up before, that I'd never seen a computer when I grew up. Worse than that, I'd never seen electric power. We didn't have the power on in our farmhouse. <laughs> uh, but that's where John grew up in the country. When he got to Jerusalem, he was amazed the big stones they're using to build this temple in Jerusalem. So John was going into culture shock. And then John was a pretty fiery young guy. And when things upset him in Palestine, he said... Jesus, why don't you call down some thunder and lightning and wipe these people out, sort them out, <laughs> show you what sort of power you've got. So John was a pretty fiery guy. They were fishermen and Jesus said, James and John, gave them the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. <laughs> they weren't at the end of the journey, they were at the beginning of the journey. But if we follow John's journey right through, in his old age he'd become a lovely, gracious man. He said, dear friends... Let's not love one another. Let's love one another, for love comes from God. Whoever has love, 
whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So he'd changed over the time. It wasn't a flick of a button. It was a lifelong journey and he'd taken this journey to spirituality. He retired in the greater city back in those days and he had to decide, am I just going to fit in with the crowd or am I going to walk to the drumbeat of a different drummer? Am I going to be different? And lots of amazing stuff. If you've ever been to Ephesus, I've been there a couple of times with my first wife, Helen, and then with my son. And John, what you had to do in those days, you had to walk into that temple, which was the temple of Domitian, and say, Caesar is Lord. This is to show your loyalty to your country. What was John going to do? He said, no way. Jesus is Lord. How can I possibly walk in there and say Caesar is Lord? So it cost him his price. He had to go out to the Isle of Patmos to suffer for his faith and endure for his faith. So here we are. We're heading out to the Isle of Patmos. And uh, he said, I was there because of the word of God and your companion in the suffering and I think the Orthodox might have get here, got there after John. They put all this tacky <laughs> stuff all around the cave where John was living in Patmos. But he wanted to write out and tell all the people in the world about this faith he had that he was willing to suffer for. And so we're going to quickly pick up a couple of themes. Their city had lots of affluence. It was one of the most famous cities in the world. And up on the hill now, if you go there, there's the church of St John. It's the ruins these days of the church that was there. And there's a library, but there aren't any books in it. So if you want to see some books, you come to our library and the old Gospel Hall in Burnie. I think I've got about 7,000 books there, <laughs> 3,500 on Christianity and 3,500 on fruit plants. But John said, why am I writing this stuff down? I want you to find complete joy. Wow. I write this so that you'll learn how to not sin. We haven't arrived but when you're faced with a thing, Lord, please help me, I'm going to have a hassle here and I'm going to write these things so that you'll know beyond death you've got eternal life, you've got it here and now, goes straight through into eternity. And so even in his old age, dear children, let's not love with words and tongue but with actions and in truth. Get out and put your faith into practice in the real world where people are watching to know whether it's the real thing. Often when people are talking about the book of John, they say, oh, it's all chaotic and confused and hasn't any proper layout. They just hadn't read it properly. He's going up a spiral staircase and he's going over and over the same themes on the way, sin and love and joy and truth and obedience until he gets to the top knowing God really is love and he's the way to let run everything in your life. Or if you're back in the good old days, you could have a kaleidoscope and put them in there. He's showing us all these different things that interact to make it the faith we know. And how do we know that we know? By this we can be sure that we know him. How are we going to be sure? If we keep his commandments. We had it beautifully read to us. If we actually put our faith into practice. Oh, I couldn't have possibly done that on my own. I must be getting some invisible help from somewhere. I sit and smile when they say I've got the biggest information system in the world because I was never a very smart student. I, got recycled twice at Devonport High School and got recycled twice at the university. And now all these famous people all over the world are saying, go to Bruce French's information system. And I say in the beginning, they're God's resources. I'm getting help <laughs> to do it. By this we can be sure we're in him. How we can be sure we can walk the same way that he walked. We can have different priorities, different values in the world. 
Knowing means obeying. If we know that we've come to know him, if we obey his commands, the person who says, I know him, but doesn't do what he commands is a liar. We had it beautifully read to us. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus walked. And so John's just running through these ideas. We know that we know if we obey. If we don't know, if we don't do, if we live in him, we walk as Jesus walked. What's he doing? He's linking them together like links in a chain. Know, obey, in him, truth, live, walk. He's connecting all these different things. So it's not a little theory lesson over here to fill up your brain. It's the whole thing linked together. And if you're doing it, you show love in your life. Everyone who claims to be in the light but hates a fellow believer is still in the darkness. Whoever loves their fellow believer lives in the light and there's nothing in them to make them stumble. I have to watch it until too many stories. We'll be here all day. I've got another hour by that clock up there. but <laughs> <laughs> We get lots of interesting people come into our centre in Burnie. A chap came in the other day. He was absolutely obsessed with the second coming of Jesus. And I said, what church do you go to? He said, oh, I don't go to any church. I can't find a church that's got it all right. And I said, well, I said that's funny. I've spoken in churches in every denomination that you've ever heard of. I think pretty well every church on the northwest coast. And every church I can find some lovely people who know Jesus and love him and are trying to serve him. And some of them probably need a bit of help on the way. So John's just linking simple ideas. Hate and love, light and darkness... And what we should do is care for the world. This is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our life for others. If anyone's got material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in them? Dear children, let us not love with words and tongue but with actions and in truth. We happen to live in a global era. These days you can just type in the internet Tell me where all the poor people in the world... Poor means $2 a day. If you get less than $2 a day, you're poor. And what blows my mind, you then type in which countries in the world do people go to church and you get almost the same map. (laughs) Poor people know they need the Lord. They can't fool themselves. They can't live in fantasy land. They can't afford to go to the chemist. How would you pay that bill? And so they have to get to know the Lord and pray. And it's the rich people in the world who are giving up going to church because they don't need God. They've got money. What do you need God for when you've got money? So just as an example, the suicide rate in Sweden is a thousand times that of Haiti. Haiti's on the news at the moment because of all the crises. And people in Haiti can't afford to take their own lives. It's hard enough to stay alive as it is. And so people in rich countries can not have anything to live for. So knowing means being like Jesus. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. In this way, love is made complete among you so that we'll have confidence in the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. We haven't arrived, but we're starting to reflect some of the beauty of Jesus. On my first wife, Helen's grave, she died 20 years ago tomorrow. She used to come here often with me we've got she reflected the beauty of Jesus. Someone rang me up the other day and said, could I put that on our family grave? And I said, I haven't got a copyright on it. If you think the person reflected the beauty of Jesus, of course you can put it on a grave. So it's an interesting world we live. But what he's doing, how do you love? You go to the source. God is love. How do you get the truth? 
You go to the source. God is truth. How do you get along with others? Get a bit of light on them and find some good points about them. Go to the source of, of light. How do you get life? God is life and he's the way you get life. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever doesn't love does not know God because God is love. Love's a lot more than fuzzy feelings. Love is a reality that works itself out. I shouldn't share secrets, I don't think, but I said to Deb, what's been the highlight of the last week? And she said, oh, the kid's coming to help us pack up our house. Love, so it's love in practice in the real world. I'll go back one. So just skimming what he's saying throughout the passage, love comes from God, born of God, knows God, God's love. God shows his love, live through him, sent his son as a sacrifice. God lives in us. We've already mentioned that several times in the service and the prayer meeting beforehand. So we should love one another. We get our love from God. We're born of God. We know God. God's love. God loved us. This is how he's linking these simple ideas together in a magnificent fashion. This is the testimony God has given us eternal life. This life is in his son. I think we've read this already. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever doesn't have the son doesn't have life. What's that got to do? It's got something to do with people. We know that we've passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. Whoever doesn't love remains in death. If anyone's got material possessions, that's a bit close to the bone, isn't it? And sees a brother or sister in need and has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in them? Dear children, let's not love with words and tongue, but with actions and truth. Let's do something about the world. So it's three ideas he's trying to put together, love and true and obey. We start out with a little bit, and if we go on in our journey every day, it grows and grows and grows till it becomes something like John and his later life was pretty amazing where he'd got to. To know God, to know him is to love him, to love him is to obey him, to obey him is to want to get to know him some more. To know, love and obey him is to find he's the truth, the light and the life. So it's the three things all together. We're not filling up so we know all the information up here. We're putting it out in practice in, a, at, in an attitude and we're not stomping on people in the way. We've got a different attitude about how we go about it. So God's nature, God is love. This is how we know that what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. God is light. If we claim to have fellowship with him, walk in the dark, we lie and the truth isn't in us. God is life. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. God is right. He who does what is right is righteous. Right with God. Just as he is righteous, God is true and we are in him who is true. So when I was growing up in Lower Barrington Sunday School, every week we had to have a text we'd learn. One week my text was God is true and I'd say to my mum, what was that again? God is true. The next week it'd be God is life. What was my text again? God is life. I had to learn these to say them in Sunday School. But they're all tucked away there and they're all displayed in Jesus obedience, walking, transformed lives, his spirit in us. So what sort of things should we take home from this very, very quick skim through the book? Let's be honest and think of the areas of obedience that we hedge our bets on. We've got more faith in ourselves and technology than we have in Jesus and 
let's address some of those. How much of our church life is talk and not walk? Church isn't one hour a week. Preacher doesn't go too long. It's 168 hours a week. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. So, and what issues in the area of materialism do we need to think about to help people locally, people globally who are struggling in life? Real spirituality is knowing, loving and obeying God. So let's pray. Yes, Lord, it's pretty obvious to us that we can't do this on our own. We haven't a hope. But you've promised here and now in your word that you'd love to do it through us. You'd love to take us, pick us up, dust us off, transform us. Help us to live this out in a real and authentic way in your world so that you get the glory. So we ask you to help us to do this in the name of our wonderful Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.